This is a Strategist, episode 810. My name is Zane Belgi. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, what's going on? Well, happy Sunday, Zane. Yeah, happy it's, Sunday. It's it's to- another Sunday we get to spend together. I'm I'm very excited to see Zane, mostly. Let me tell you this. Twice in one week, uh, it's too much. I'd say it's too much. I think <laughs> I was really surprised we actually were doing this tonight, to be quite honest with you. You but thought we've this was going to be canceled. I, I really did. I mean, I mean, Corey, everything's getting canceled these days. Pay attention. <laughs> I, thought, I thought. By the way, how Stephen has not gotten canceled yet is actually a miracle. And no, I'm it's just because I'm a professional. I'm a okay, professional. Yeah, right, yeah. right. You, you choose your words carefully. And I choose my words carefully. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, uh, good feedback from last, uh, last episode, I would say. Uh, we're hearing the people hearing what they're having to say. Uh, no one outside of Corey got the poll, Carter. So, of course, we know <laughs> it was just a intellectual exercise for us to go through. That's not true. I've seen I've seen on Reddit some people got the poll. It's, oh, it's out there. The Redditors the, are, are known yeah. for their trustworthiness. Okay. Exactly. I saw it on the QAnon forums. It's all <laughs> <close> together. <laughs> Regardless, whether it's real or not, definitely fake. Um People seem to enjoy it, and uh, I think it was it was it was good uh, good impromptu strategist episoding. Uh, and speaking of impromptu episoding, this one is also going to be exactly the same, like all of our episodes, yeah. uh, made up out of nowhere. So let's move it on to our first segment. We are family, guys. Yeah, oh, see, I like that. That's, That's pretty good, good right? That's good. Yeah. Uh, so the liberal marriage with we uh, has come to an end before it even started. Uh, they have decided to part ways, which sounded like a very poor pre-divorce statement. Uh, but regardless, we will now not be administering the close to billion dollar volunteer program that the feds had uh, had stated was the only charity in the country that was able to do this. Uh, so I want to focus today on, on this story in particular, uh, but I also want to talk about scandals uh, on, on the main. Corey, you've got your hand up. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about this conscious uncoupling, can we find a way to describe them other than we? Because I'm going to get really confused yeah. using that pronoun. Uh, what, do, what, do, what do you want to use? Do you have suggestions? Do you want to call them the Kilbergers charity? Is that is oh, that that's is that good? good. Oh, okay, sure. Let's do that. Okay, yeah. it's, it's a mouthful now that I think about it. But okay, <laughs> as long as we don't <laughs> we have to say, say Kilberger. Yeah, okay. let's just screw that up for sure. How about or we found, charity? The I'll foundation be... or charity? Okay, whatever. the foundation. Yeah. This is good. Uh, we're getting into the legalese all day. <laughs> Already. <laughs> now now refer to there on in as the foundation. Um, so, Corey, before we get started on, on the specifics of this story, talk to me about broadly what goes into creating a political scandal. Because the S word is now starting to be used around this uh, by the opposition, but simultaneously we've also got the ethics watchdog now investigating Trudeau, which seems to happen every every 18 months or so, uh, like clockwork. But what goes into in this 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 cocktail of creating scandals and scandals that perhaps take governments down? I want to I want to talk about that first before we get into the foundation. Well, unfortunately, it does feel like you could set your watch to these at this point for the Trudeau government and and the ethics commissioner. Uh, a scandal, simply put, is is absolutely in the eye of the beholder. It, it is entirely different. It's not always of legal uh, foundation, although that's usually a big part of it. Often there's some suggestion that a law was broken, whether that law carries jail time or is just the way things are supposed to occur. 
but a scandal can also be uh, an amplified gaffe. It can be something where you have said something that is not illegal but is deeply offensive to different groups of people, or it could be a sex scandal. Uh, ultimately, it's anything that people in large enough numbers take an affront to, and usually what's pretty foundational to a scandal is a denial by one side as well most of the time, right, uh, where all of a sudden... Um, what's very common to them is that there's there's a there's like a I don't want to use the word cover up because I'm not suggesting that's what it is in this case but um, you know the suggestion that there is no scandal is so part of there being a scandal a lot of the time it's hard to separate the two. Carter, anything to add as to as to what goes into the recipe of of scandal making? A scandal is two sides. I mean, I think that that's what Corey's saying with the. Uh, you know, the denial at the beginning. You rarely hear of a scandal where someone says, you know what, that was a mistake. I I misspoke and I'd like to apologize. That was something wrong and I'm going to move forward. The scandal always starts off, and and this this one with uh, the We Charity, um, started off with there's nothing wrong here. There's nothing to see. And because there's nothing wrong, there's nothing to see, the other side pushes. Now, I will say this, that... uh, in today's society, we're always looking to add the gate suffix. Uh, everything needs to be a gate, and we're trying to find a way to make almost everything a scandal. And it's kind of diminished the real scandals, the the true the true pieces of of uh, uh, corruption that we we used to see. And we used to see a lot more of it, to be honest. Right now, uh, most governments, I think, are relatively scandal free, and that's one of the reasons that uh, when opposition parties push for a scandal and try and get something going, um, you know. They, they do push back pretty hard. And, and I think the other thing is that scandals ultimately can bring down governments. Um, a real scandal can end a government's uh, right to govern. And uh, we've seen that only a few times in history where the, the scandal ultimately takes out um, the governing party. Most of the time, though, these are little made-up blips that if the governing party could pull their heads out of their tushes long enough, uh, they'd be able to get past the... Uh, the scandal before it even develops any legs at all. Corey Carter said a couple of interesting things here. The first is, you know, real scandals can take down governments. And then the other statement he made was this this idea that scandals are often engineered by opposition parties in some ways. So how do you kind of reconcile these two things? Like, as in, what is a real scandal? And, and how does this concept of engineering, you know, whether it's a gaffe to your point, Corey, how do you engineer and elevate that to, to a scandal if you're if you're part of the opposition class or the activist class uh, in this case? Well, the defining characteristic of a scandal is public outrage. So if mm. you want something to become a scandal, you need to increase the level of of outrage. And that usually means increasing your level of umbrage, talking about how this is morally wrong, how this is legally wrong, uh, how this is part of the, the, the general degrading of Canadian fabric. You start to get yourself into the world of superlatives very quickly, often, if you're trying to push for something being a scandal. The worst ever, you know, the, yeah. the, the most corrupt ever, things of that nature. But, um, uh, but, you know, there's a challenge there, which is, I think, and in a way, sort of building on what Carter said, if if everything's a scandal, nothing's a scandal, because you can only turn that dial up to 11 so many times before everybody normalizes their speakers, right? And your 11 becomes their, their baseline, like their standard audio level. And, and so the, where the opposition has to be careful anywhere, not just on this particular issue, is... Uh, you know, so much of what we need to know in politics we learned as children. The boy who cried wolf, right? Yep. Uh, you know, the emperor has no clothes. Another great one, Trump fans. But 
if you say everything's a scandal, nobody is going to take you seriously when the true scandals come along. Carter, to that point then, does this situation with the foundation, as we are now calling it, does it have the right ingredients to, to make a scandal? I.e., if you're sitting in opposition right now, are you thinking, yep, these are, this, is, this has got everything I need to start dialing up the volume? Does it have the ingredients? Well, I mean, first of all, I, I think that it fails on its first test, which is, and I said this in our, when we talked about it the first time, um, the, the connection between the Trudeaus and this charity is that they show up at the charity's events. They promote the good work that this charity does. Um, how is that a scandal? I mean, bringing attention to the fact that the Trudeaus agree that youth should be more engaged. Um, are you suggesting, Mr. Shear, that you don't think that youth should be more engaged? I mean, the, this is this strikes me as, um, you know, we, we've 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 forgotten what a, what a conflict of interest actually means, which is, you know, if if. I get a piece of work from my wife, you know, that that, that looks like a conflict of interest because I'm financially benefiting from her handing something to me. Uh, that type of conflict of interest, I think, has long ago been done away with. We don't see it very frequently. This is something that's striving to be that type of conflict of interest that doesn't have the remunerative component to it. It's not like the Trudeaus are going to walk away with more money in their jeans. And now they're saying, well, they're friends. They're friends. Okay. Um, so everybody that you're a friend with can't administer a government program. The thing that was particularly per challenging with this is it felt like it was sole sourced, right? Like they went out uh -huh. and they found the only the only group that could do this. And again, if Kilberger's walking away with a hundred million dollars of this nine hundred million in his pocket, then that's a scandal. But if nothing changes, I mean, it is a charity. He can't take the money out of the charity. There's a, there's a reporting process. All of these things would be followed. I I just I don't see where the conflict is, and that's where the basis of the accusation lies. The basis of the accusation lies in this is a conflict of interest. Uh, otherwise, conservatives should be jumping up and down. This is actually handing out to the private sector. Now, I guess there's no profit in this, but it's still handing out a large portion of work to outside the government. This is what conservatives are supposed to stand for. Um, but of course, they throw away that principle if it suits them in the moment, which in this case it does. Corey, is your read the same or, or a little bit divergent? No, I mean, I disagree. It's called a conflict of interest, not conflict of bank accounts. It doesn't just have to be about money. Um, and I'll give you a very simple example. If I were to use my employer's resources to promote you and Stephen, that would be wrong, even though I wouldn't be financially benefiting from it in any way, shape, or form. If you try to advance your friends with public resources, that's a problem. Now, the question is whether that is what is happening here. There is a lot of ambiguity in this situation. There's a lot of gray. People know each other. Ultimately, it's very tough to find yourself in a world where you are the prime minister of a nation and the head of the only charity large enough to do work, if that is what's happening, is not known to you. Right. I, I mean, like almost by definition, you're going to be traveling in yeah. the same circles. That's the reality of things. But uh, giving your friends things is wrong. Giving uh, charities that you support resources sole sourced, if, if the reason is not truly because they're the only ones who can do it, is wrong. A and you can easily see how this could actually become a financial benefit as well. If, uh, if you are an ambassador of this charity, you leave office if you're, or, or your husband leaves office if you're Sophie Trudeau, uh, and 
you you become a paid employee. You become their executive director or something. And it would be very difficult to not look at that and say, was there a connection somewhere along the way there? So now you're, I, I just think now you're imagining a future situation. No, but yeah. this is my point, though, Stephen. Like, yeah. uh, you know, it, it creates very, very ambiguous, dodgy background to all of this and as the prime minister he should have known better Corey, I, I think that's what i would say Corey, to, to, to the question i asked carter are for you are the ingredients there for the opposition to get loud on this to try to elevate it to to scandal territory i don't know that i think on its own it would it would be something that i think is particularly damning but as you mentioned this is this is another third and three years of of ethics investigations and that becomes a bit of a challenge it's it starts to look like and, and they kind of carry a common thread of like well i was trying to do good or well it was a charity and well there's not financial upside here right whether you're going to the Khan's island or whether you're you know you're, you're just very cozy with people Right. And, and so it, it starts to feed a bit of a narrative that if you're the liberals, you have to be careful about. Uh, you know, last week I said, uh, I think they have to double down. Right. They're, you know, I, it was a bad idea to do it, but now they're in it and they got to be in it. I'm kind of kicking myself for not bringing up exactly what they did, which is saying we mutually agree to separate because I think that was the right play right here to say it's become a distraction. Uh, we, we don't need this anymore. And if I'm the Trudeau government, I am very quickly turning the page on this because, um, yeah, I, I think some of the fundamental ingredients are there. Now, that doesn't mean it actually will become a great long-lasting scandal, but it certainly has those components. Carter, I wanted to get into what Corey just mentioned, which is uh, the strategic response. So so uh, look at the liberals for me. This mutual parting of ways, is that what you would have advised uh, if you if you were the liberals? What did you make of their their response? Well, I mean, I think the timing was right for a mutual, pa- you know, mutual ending of this relationship. Um, there's a lot of egg on this government's face for doing it this way. Uh, it was a bad choice to do it this way. Um, an open process or, a diffu- you know, a diffused pro- you know, type of implementation. This is a big program. Uh, and that is probably the piece that I overlooked in our first criticism of it or our first look at it. $900 million is a lot of money. It is a lot of money to give to any enterprise, let alone a social enterprise. Now, this is a big foundation. This is a big organization that can, can that manages and moves a lot of, of money. But still, something like $900 million that you're going to just uh, turn into a program, it feels to me like it... We wouldn't have accepted it if it was handed to a business, unless it was oil and gas, in which case Albertans would have loved it. Um, but we, we don't accept that because uh, that's not the way the government's supposed to work. Um, so I think that backing away, I wouldn't have done it if it was in September or October, but it's July, you know, late June, July. Um, people aren't paying attention the same way, and they got out of this almost before it became scandal worthy. The better way of doing it, well, two two better options. Number one, don't get yourself into the situation. Don't do it. And the second is, the second it looked bad, walk away from it, right? But then you're then you put yourself in a position when every time the the uh, opposition starts screaming that there's an ethical violation, um, they can point to this situation and say, see how quickly they backed away. And I do think that this is going to haunt Trudeau and the Trudeau government uh, in the future when they try and do uh, something similar. Because let's be honest, government gives a lot of money away to organizations, uh, whether they're charities or other or for-profit corporations. And uh, each one of them now gets to be held up as, is this another we charity debacle? 
Corey, before I ask you about what the conservatives should do in this situation, I want to talk to you about uh, this concept of perhaps if this is not scandal worthy and the liberals may have made the right strategic move to 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 decouple. Do you feel like this situation has perhaps, uh, you know, well, like I said, if it doesn't enter, enter scandal territory, do you think it has taken the shine off on the covid bump? the artificial COVID bump that they have, this this honeymoon-ish phase that they live in for their execution uh, of, of of handling COVID. Do you feel like this could kind of, you know, tarnish a bit of that? You know, I, I actually don't believe so. Maybe a little bit. I guess, I guess it would be hard to say that it, it won't have a bit of an impact if we're saying there are some components, including the public, saying what is going on. Uh, but I, I think the bigger risk in some ways is almost um, is to come. Right now that the ethics commissioner is involved, if if the finding on this is that the government acted in an improper fashion, that is probably your bigger risk. If I am the Trudeau government, I am helping the commissioner get through this at lightning speed uh, over the summer when people are paying less attention and just moving on and taking my beating because let's face it, there'll probably be a beating of some sort. That's just how ethics commissioners roll. When they pick something up, they're at least going to wrap your knuckles and say, shame on you. You should have known the optics were bad. Um, but it is the dead of summer. It is a charity. It's hard to get too outraged about this because it, it doesn't have that private financial interest that Stephen was talking about, at least not the direct one. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like the end of the world, but you can kind of see the end of the world from here. So they, they got to be careful. Corey, back to you on this. Uh, conservatives, what should they be doing right now? Let's say you're advising them at this moment. You've got three ethics investigations. You've got a leadership that's currently happening. What are you advising uh, the party or specific individuals within the party to do right now with this situation? I don't know if I'd advise them to do anything. Let's see what the ethics commissioner comes back with. Let's leave it for the new leader. It doesn't really make sense to go on a full offensive right now. Uh, when when they're still trying to solve their own uh, leadership question. So uh, if if things line up nicely and all of a sudden Aaron O'Toole or Peter McKay is the leader and the ethics commissioner report comes the next week and they can start clubbing Trudeau over the head, that's obviously the best case scenario for them. So don't go too far too fast right now. Uh, save some of this ammo for the next leader because that's when it's actually going to be important. Carter, same question to you. What are you doing if you're uh, advising the conservatives right now? Well, I don't really know what to do now. I mean, they're cleaning it up. There's going to be a report from the ethics commissioner to continue to bang on the drum. Seems rather pointless, but it does raise the question, why did they do it right then? Um, why didn't they allow it to kind of set in the public mind? It would have been really interesting to watch the Trudeau liberals uh, spend some money, get some support for the program, uh, start to put it out there, and then all of a sudden pull the rug out from under them uh, that this was done improperly, didn't go through the proper processes. Um, that might have been a way like it would have been a bigger scandal if people knew about it and man had had invested in it. Uh, I might have advised them earlier uh, to let it let it develop, let it let it unfold before you start to uh, make a big deal out of it. Maybe, you know, whisper to a few people, this doesn't look good. Get a few people on the talk shows uh, saying that they were concerned about it. But, you know, the the problem is the second it became a thing, they yelled about it. Now the the wind's out of their balloon, and it's hard to put it back in. Corey? Well, and part of that is because they're not the only opposition party, right? So the NDP were also on this, and that does create a bit of an incentive almost to, to get the scoop 
to get out mm-hmm. there and be the first one yelling about this that you know and, and maybe rightfully so I'm not trying to be dismissive here but to be to be the first one that is vocal on this matter the first to email or write a letter to the ethics commissioner and certainly you saw even when the ethics commissioner came back and said yes we're going to do that um you know Barrett and the conservatives I think was the letter that triggered it but Charlie Angus said hey I wrote a letter too at the exact same yeah. time yeah. almost immediately so uh, you see this kind of like tripping over yourself opposition uh, and they would have had to be a bit more coordinated if that was going to be the approach they take. And I just don't see what the upside would be for both parties. Kind of a prisoner's dilemma thing there. You know, yeah. you scoop the other guy and you win. So, Carter, uh, same question uh, for you. Actually, an extension of what Corey said. He said, if you're the liberals right now, you want to try to get this thing done at lightning speed with the ethics commissioner. If you're the conservatives, do you want to elongate this? Do you want to actually get it done at lightning speed as well? Where where do you kind of, if you're if you're pulling the levers as as they sit with you in terms of cadence and speed, what are you what are you advising? Well, the liberals want it to happen in the summer. The conservatives want it to happen in the fall. Um, anything bad that happens in the summer or in December didn't really happen. Anything good that happened, you know, like anything good that happens in the summer or December didn't really happen either. So if you're the conservatives, you desperately don't want it to happen until such time as you can, you, you have your new leader in place. You can make some hay out of it. You can ask them in the legislature or in the, in the, the house of commons. Um, you, you, you get nothing from it happening in, in, in the summer and the liberals get to say, well, we, we, we worked with the ethics commissioner. We gave them everything that they asked for. Look at us working in cooperation. And by the way, the report came out in August and there was nothing there. Or if there is something, you minimize it because it's in August and no one gives a fuck. Corey, anything to add? Well, look, the liberals may have had the best intentions in the world, uh, but they didn't follow the rules that are there to protect us all. That is their exposure. And in a funny way, I think their exposure is more legal than moral, as I said. So, uh, if I'm the libs, I'm, I'm getting through this quickly. If I'm the conservatives, I don't even know what quote unquote lever I have to pull right now. I'm assuming I'm not even a witness. You know, it, it's mm. going to be the ethics commissioner talking to people in government and what have you, or or the the we charity. So um, yeah, I, you know, maybe you try to expand it. Say, hey, you've got to look at these angles. Try to push things that uh, go by the ethics commissioner's. Um, you know, field of vision, I suppose, that they might feel they have to address in their report, which would make the report go longer. But, uh, you know, otherwise, you don't have a lot to pull, um, you know, because we are kind of in a a narrower definition of of conflict of interest than, than perhaps the Conservatives wish. Carter, finish us off with your perfect prognostication skills. Uh, you are betting. You're betting all-star <laughs> level. Uh, oh, great. Will, great. Will, this, will this story have legs? Will it... Will it become a sort of scandal that could that could that could reach sponsorship scandal territory where would you kind of place this in the spectrum of scandal hold on hold on before you answer i'm just going to play a clip jeb bush needs to survive this primary and compete in a general jeb bush is not surviving this primary he's totally surviving this primary mark it down on your calendar okay steven carter so so hold on hold on jeb bush is the guy Of course, Stephen. With that, uh, with that wind behind your back, uh, please answer the question. I just don't think this is a big deal. I think that it gets dealt with and it's over before anybody musters the strength to be upset about it. Uh, keep in mind that our southern neighbor is on fire because Trump is the president. Uh, against my uh, prognostication, perhaps wishful thinking. Um, you know, and I think, frankly. It'd be relatively easy to change the channel on this thing. It just doesn't feel like it's going to muster much steam. 
Corey, do you want to do you want to take a kick at the can? I, I, I want to make it fair. Give me your prognostication skills. What do you what do you think is going to happen? Uh, I, I think that the the liberals will be fairly um, successful at being able to push this thing quickly. I think the ethics commissioner will know exactly what the liberals will be up to and might even just drag feet uh, for the heck of it. And um, in, in the meantime, we haven't talked about the, the poor we charity, which I know is a bit of a lightning rod in the nonprofit sector. But boy, talk about just being dragged through like a brutal situation here. Like they, they had to pull out because there was no way they could succeed in this environment. Any inability to do anything but 100% success would have been held up as a sign of, of deep, deep problems. Like they had to get out of this thing. So Okay, well, we'll leave that there, and we will we will see to be determined uh, if Stephen Carter keeps batting a thousand on his prognostication. Uh, let's move <laughs> it on to our next segment. I wanted to go into the Alberta strategy scale, guys. We've done the strategy scale before. For those of us who are, uh, for those of you that are new to our program, here's what we do. So, guys, I'm going to go through five things happening in Alberta right now. They're all UCP centric, i.e., you're you're working for the UCP. So, put that hat on right now. Oh, good. Uh, Okay, so yeah, Carter, it's natural uh, for yeah. you. Uh, just just go on P- uh, tw- Carter's Twitter account. You'll see how uh, per- how much of a perfect fit this is. Uh, I'm going to give you these five situations. I want you to dispassionately give me on a scale of one to ten how big of a deal is it. One is not that big of a deal. It's fine. No issue here. Ten. This is really bad. Okay. And then I want you to talk about what you would do as a UCP strategist. Get that? Is that cool? Yep. One to ten, give me the the rating, and then tell me what you would do as your UCP strategist. Corey, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you, as the UCP, and Jason Kenney have still not fired your arguably racist, homophobic speechwriter. Uh, how bad of it is this on a one to ten, and what are you doing? I think it's a C minus. The challenge <laughs> that you have is um, there is a bit of a a trickle here there you have additional indigenous communities coming forward all the time adding to a, a bit of your uh, a bit of the narrative that look people want what this fellow gone um what i am doing is i look at this point i think you've you've got to do more than just have third parties say the man has changed uh he you know may, maybe paul needs to come out with a bit of a letter of contrition like listen uh, there's been a lot of talk about my words which i think is really unfortunate because i'm here to help other people with their words it's not about what i think or what do but i want to share with you how i have evolved and, and what has triggered that evolution in my points of view because i know that a lot of what i said uh, was deeply painful for people and you know frankly in my previous life part of my job was to kind of shock and titillate and, and write things that would provoke and um, you got to know that's not really who I am at my core and I deeply regret that I did these things simply to shock and titillate and drive forward these narratives um, you know five years ago this thing happened to me whatever your story is that that actually reinforces why you changed uh, and then just say, look, I, uh, the last thing I want is, is to be a distraction to the important work that this premier is doing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that people will forgive me. I'm reaching out to Treaty 6. I'm reaching out to Treaty 8. I'm going to give them my personal, for, uh, you know, apologies on this matter. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I feel terrible about how this all is. That, that is what I would do. I mean, listen, Corey Hogan is the speechwriter to speechwriters, and uh, he's clearly provided <laughs> a service uh, right here. Carter, what are you doing? First of all, on the 1 to 10, 
Corey's giving it uh, clearly uh, a C minus. So I'll let you guys at home decode that. Uh, how bad is, is it on a one to ten? And what are you doing? Well, it's a fail, Zane, for sure. Because the the challenge that um, Kenny has is that he's trying to reestablish a different terms of reference for the relationships with uh, Alberta's indigenous population. It is important um, to the development of. Uh, what he sees is resurgent industry, which is oil and gas. Um, so if I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm not thinking necessarily about the public relations nightmare and the furor that is is bubbling here in Alberta about this particular uh, individual and this particular what he has said. I'm thinking about uh, Treaty Six and Treaty and Treaty Seven, and I'm trying to figure out how I can, on the one hand, rebuild a relationship uh, with those nations the way that that needs to happen uh for alberta to be able to access um oil and gas product uh or wind product or pipeline access or whatever else i mean the supreme court decided not to hear uh, a case about trans mountain because um you know the the vast majority of first nations were were in approval or agreement with trans mountain um what happens when First Nations in Alberta start saying, you know what, we'd love to support you, but we can't while you've got this person in your office, or we can't uh, support you. Uh, so if I was with the UCP, the, I, I, I really liked Corey's apology tour idea. Um, now, I've been forced to make apology tours. Uh, so I'll tell you, they, they do come with a double-edged sword, uh, because as soon as you start the apology, um, then if you don't apologize exactly right, you're done. And, and the apology... Right now, we know certain things about uh, what Mr. Bunner has written. Um, he knows everything. Um, the fear that I would have is that you know, you apologize for three quarters, and then the last quarter comes out, and you're you're hung out. So, if you're doing Corey's apology tour, uh, solid strategy. Uh, make sure you're apologizing for everything, and ideally, everything, including a couple things that the general public public don't know today. Um, because then you're taking full accountability for your actions and you are uh, trying to make things better. Um, the premier has to speak to Treaty 6 and Treaty 7. Uh, you know, he has to have some meetings. He has to um, show, not tell, that this is, uh, this is in the past for this government. Carter, I want to go back to you on this second uh, issue that we want to discuss. Same rules, 1 to 10, and what would you do? Uh, the Energy War Room, Jason Kenney and the UCP's Energy War Room, putting out an ad today on Facebook, which I believe if you found and texted us to us very early in the morning, and then it took off as a tweet. Uh, uh, so so props to you, Carter. But this tweet, uh, this, this Facebook ad ultimately siding with, is it fair to say, climate change denying in some ways? Uh, you know, citing some research in that in that domain. So first, maybe you want to add more context. So I'll let you do that. Give us the one to 10. And then what would you do? I stole this from the breakdown. Let's get that clear. I stole okay. this already. Okay. Um, but the the <laughs> what would I do? Um, I'd shut the I'd shut it down. It's brought me nothing but pain. If I'm Jason Kenny, I am now what am I nine months into this thing and every month something that they do hurts. And 
Uh, obviously, there seems to be no oversight from the government um, because they have separated it. It is a separate entity. Um, it is the, the equivalent of the We Charity. It's a nonprofit society uh, that exists outside of government that gets $30 million a year that is governed by three ministers as private citizens. Um, so that's problematic. The, the governance structure is a disaster. And obviously, the people leading it, Tom Olson specifically, seems to fit right in with Matt Wolf in being incredibly incompetent. So if I'm Jason Kenney, I'm looking at this and saying, I can't find a competent communicator to save my life. I'm going to shut this thing down because every time it opens its mouth, it hurts. And uh, let's be honest, the $30 million a year can be spent doing a lot of other things that will actually have some impact. Um, this has been a disaster. It will be a disaster. And I think that the ideological blinders that enabled them to set this up uh, need to be taken off because they can try all the promotions of the, of the oil and gas industry that they want. They've already signaled that they're moving to a diversification strategy. Double down on it. Take the $30 million that you were putting into oil and gas and put it into diversification. Communicate about tech. Communicate about uh, opportunities. Communicate about the mountains being so close to Edmonton. Those are your options, and that's what I'd recommend. <laughs> Carter, hold on. Before before I, I, I pose the same question to you, Corey, uh, Okay, so this is this is an institution that's causing nothing but pain for the government. How much pain? Give me that scale on a one to ten. Is it is it a three? Is it a ten? Like, is this a big deal? Where where do you place it? Well, I think it's pro it's probably a C minus. Like, it's not killing you, but what it's doing the question. What it's what it's doing to you is that it's it's not doing what it's supposed to do. So, so sure, maybe this little bit of pain because they found an ad that you're targeting to people who are likely to disbelieve climate change in the first place. Um, so you're, they're playing with that psychology. Fine, that makes sense. But they're not winning over the institutional investors. They're not changing the way that people are thinking of Alberta's oil sands. They're not changing the way that they think of our oil and gas industry. They're not making it easier to build a pipeline. So what are we spending the $70 million for? Cam or the $30 million a year, $120 million over four. Are you going to get the return on the investment or could you deploy that money better and win a lot more hearts and minds? You know, they're, they're, closing, they're closing 30 plus provincial parks and they're saving themselves $5 million. Let's keep the provincial parks open. I'm just throwing it out there. Like, let's get a public relations win instead of a public relations loss by my public relations agency. Corey, put yourself in the same position. One to ten, how bad? And then if you're a UCP strategist, what are you doing? Um, you know, it, it's bad if you are an insider. And I define insider actually not just political insider, but also industry insider right now. Like it just, you know, it's, it's not great. And to pick up on something Stephen said, you really have to ask yourself, what is the purpose of the Canadian Energy Centre? Well, there's its stated purpose, which is to make, uh, you know, to combat, you know, the, all of the things that are in there, combat the lies and myths that are said about, you know, Canadian oil and gas industry. There are, uh, you know, a number of other purposes underneath there. Uh, and then there's it's what I would say is almost it's it's more likely purpose, which is to show Albertans that you're fighting for their, you know, their largest industry and, and throughout their, um, you know, successfully bloodying noses. And I think you have to, if you're looking at this kind of honestly, you're failing on both fronts right here. And it's pretty, pretty easy to say, maybe it's time for Tom Olson to sit down and write two letters, if you're familiar with that old Khrushchev joke. Yeah. But um, 
you know, I think there is a way out of here where the government can save face and and make it look almost like you're just uh, moving from one win to another win and, and move on with your life, which is to, to broaden the mandate, expand it to match, uh, you know, the um, – actually, I didn't actually know what the hook was as I was thinking about this, as, but as Stephen talked about it, I think the diversification could be a bit of a hook here. So – I uh, have an expanded Canadian Energy Centre, put together a new board, put Tom on the board so he can save face and so it can look like you didn't think the thing was a total effing failure. Bring in other board members from oil and gas, from the renewable sector, from a number of other energy diversification interests out there. Bring in other provinces if you're the Canadian Energy Centre. Bring in other groups that exist outside of Alberta and, and effectively say, we're making this bigger. Right. And use the opportunity to make it bigger, to absolutely reset the whole bloody thing and also take the opportunity to look at new ways to fund it so that it is only funded exclusively by industry contributions. There's no tax dollars going into it. And and ideally, also perhaps money coming in again from other provinces or whatnot. This is how you get out of this box. But you have to get out of this box because this thing is just sitting here popping up and being embarrassing every three months. And, you know, God love them. You know, the people involved in it. They're, they're 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 so you know I don't I don't need to get into it but I I don't doubt their intentions frankly <laughs> right I I just worry that they don't know what they're actually uh, trying to accomplish right now and um and and I you just need to reset you need a hard reset on this entire thing Carter yeah. on a similar vein the next one is the extension on the timeline of the foreign funding of Alberta and anti energy campaigns so similar sort of issue. Right. Um, You had Steve Allen, who is the former chair of CED here, leading this panel. And on a Friday afternoon, the Minister of Energy says it's going to be delayed for four months. It requires an extra million dollars. And the mandate has changed to say if there is any anti-Alberta energy campaigns going on by foreign entities, then this report will come out and and, and showcase it rather than definitively saying there was uh, prior to so I know we're getting to very much inside baseball. We've probably lost all of our listeners. It's fine. If you're in Alberta, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, but 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 Carter, I want to talk about this because it's very interesting and it's a, a cousin to what we just discussed. One to ten, and what would you do? Well, I think the first of all, um, coming back and asking for a million dollars more when you gave a million dollars to your son's legal firm is a little, or sorry, nine hundred thousand. I shouldn't exaggerate. Um, is kind of a big deal. Um, I'm I'm. I'm interested in this because the actual impetus, the 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 thesis that they are basing their 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 new report on, uh, was completed by Vivian Kraus um, from her house. Right, she she did all the research that was required to create the thesis, um, basically by herself, no outside funding, and she was able to to do it all for free. Why are we spending millions of dollars uh, on this particular inquiry? Um, that may or may not deliver the outcome that we're looking for. I mean, I hope Steve Allen comes back and says, um, yeah, there's foreign funding into uh, reducing uh, pipelines and fossil fuel usage. Tons of foreign funding. It's also happening happening everywhere else. I mean, today, just today, the Atlant- there was an, a pipeline uh, on the eastern seaboard that was canceled. Um, these things are happening around the world. Uh, the, the Western democracies is where they take off because it turns out we have freedom of speech and those types of things. A little less successful in Russia. But, you know, this is how it works. And the money is being spent because the population in certain 
segments of the population don't like fossil fuels. How is that a conspiracy? It exists. It's out in full force. Why do we have to spend millions of dollars, another million dollars on the exact same thing? Now, if I'm a UCP person, this goes back to what Corey said. I want to be seen to be fighting it because I said I was going to do that. But I also said I was a fiscal conservative. And the only place that fiscal conservatism seems to have a role in this government is if they're talking about being anti-union. That's it. All the rest of the money is flowing out of this government as fast as possible. And it tends to be flowing to people that they know and like and to no one else. The, the number of appointments, the, the, the number of people who are getting rich off of this government, it's just... I'm very frustrated by it, so I didn't do a very good job of your question. And uh, I, I think Corey, frankly, is a way, way better UCP strategist than me at this stage. <laughs> yeah, Carter, you 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 would be fired on day one. Uh, Corey, uh, it, what 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 are you giving this on a one to ten in terms of its its how how big of a deal it is, and then what are you doing? Oh, I don't think it's a big deal at all. Uh, look, I'm going to get into my answer. I want to say the foreign funding argument is, to me, it's hilarious because it's not as though there's not a ton of money coming into this jurisdiction that is pro-oil. Uh, you know, it's it, like people get involved in this fight yeah. in all sorts of different ways, and there's nothing inherently, in my opinion, nefarious about that. Uh, I don't know that one million more is a big deal, but can I tell you what my personal theory is as to the extension of the timeline? I think that people have misread exactly what's going on here. My theory is that extension of language, the idea that it is if there is any foreign right. influence, that is for legal purposes. And the extension is there for legal purposes as well, so it doesn't look prejudged. What you want to do is make sure that you've inoculated this against any kind of review that says this was a kangaroo court. And if you ultimately put into your terms of reference this has already happened, you are probably at more legal jeopardy of that. But it is a kangaroo court, right? Like they're not they're not interviewing both sides. They're not digging into actually how it's gone. I mean, I, and I know Sabora uh, Berman is is like the the devil in Alberta, but she's offered to to speak to them. She's not been reached. Uh, uh, the, the number of environmental organizations that are standing there with their hands up. And if I was running an NGO, an NGO uh, that was involved in the environment, I'd put my hand up right now and say, you know, here I am. Investigate me. I want to talk. I want to be heard. And the, it will be a kangaroo court for certain, a three and a half million dollar, four million dollar, whatever the hell it is. Kangaroo court, if it doesn't speak to both sides and it doesn't it doesn't appear that it's the least bit interested in speaking to both sides. Carter, well, I'll tell you that. Oh, go ahead, Corey. Well, I'll tell you this. My experience in government uh, is that government quietly changes bills, quietly changes regs, and quietly changes terms of reference all the time and almost always for the same reason, which is that more robust legal analysis has come in that has suggested there's a problem with the initial bill, reg, or terms of reference from a legal review point of view. Carter, our next one is the recovery plan. Jason Kenney's recovery plan making a $10 billion investment, $7 billion of which has already been announced, $1.5 billion of which is for the pipeline to the south, which may get cancelled depending on what happens with Sleepy Joe. Uh, am I the only one using it? If Joe Biden no, becomes... No, it's, it's catching on. Everybody's okay. saying it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever happens with Joe Biden, that pipeline could be cancelled. Uh, how big of a deal is this uh, considering the reviews uh, that are coming in for this plan? And what are you doing as a UCP strategist? Uh, as a UC I mean, I wrote a, uh, a tweet stream right when COVID started about the steps that were going to need to be taken in order to ensure that we could come out of this. And, and I, one of the last steps is to make sure that we've got a significant infrastructure investment that it gives us an opportunity to pop out of it. And ideally, it comes out of it with a, an opportunity to 
uh, build off of economic opportunity. Uh, because the economics of this are that um, we're in trouble in Alberta. We're in trouble in Canada. Uh, the world is in trouble. Um, our biggest neighbor has still got a tear on fire. Uh, that's our biggest customer. That's that's everything that matters to us. It comes from there. Uh, and they're in real trouble. So I'm not super stoked with the way that the, the money has been allocated. Um, I really like the Banff Calgary train. Uh, big fan of that. Uh, I think that would be great for tourism. I think it would be great um, for uh, also removing cars from, from a particular highway. Uh, but that seemed to be the only thing that was a little bit outside the box. Uh, I would have loved to have seen something that was more outside the box from Jason. And, and that's where I think he tends to fall down. There's not a lot outside the box. Um, even the green line, which has already been approved, right? I mean, you've pointed out that the government loves to re-announce re things that have already been approved. Uh, they're now doing an analysis of it. Well, here's my analysis. There's going to be, I think, 20,000 Calgarians uh, to work on the project. And this is the same if you were living in Vancouver or if you're listening in Toronto. Every project that you've got needs to be dusted off and, and funded because across the country, we need to put ca uh, Canadians back to work. And Jason Kenney's plan uh, falls short of putting enough Albertans back to work. Carter, I've already fired you as a UCP strategist on the last question, but I'm going back that to you. That was a good one, though. Uh, as, as okay. you're, as you're, no, you're, it, was a, it was a good critique of the government. Good, by good one. That one was good. Horrible that UCP strategist. That was good. I said, I said be well, different. I wanted, I wanted, why is it like this to me? Corey, what Corey's are you doing? Corey's always so Corey, nice to me. How, how big of a deal is this? What are you doing? Oh, um... I don't know that it's a very big deal. Repackaging is, is pretty common. Governments are, are pretty good at this. And to be honest, the confusion everybody had that was like, is this new? Is this not? Was, was, I think, a sign that it worked. It was a fairly successful strategy. People probably got very little beyond the sticker headline. Although there's an old rule of news releases that I think they forgot, which is that if it doesn't work without the number, it doesn't work. And ultimately, if there is not a lot of new infrastructure down the road, it's not going to look like a particularly compelling infrastructure plan. And there's going to be an awful lot of trouble if Calgary, for example, doesn't have a green line. So, um, I, you know, I, I think it was enough to get through the day. I don't think it is a sufficient infrastructure plan if you truly want an infrastructure plan. I'm not sure you do. I'm not sure that there was anything beyond the need to show that there was a plan. And in that sense, it was a pretty successful component of it because nobody knew what it was and they knew it was big. Carter, you're a former UCP strategist. You're taking your box uh, after day one, putting it into the trunk of your car. I find you just about your, uh, as you're, uh, to leave the parking lot. And I say, Carter... How big of a deal is it that Jason Kenney's doubling down on the Alberta pension plan, uh, asking the government officials to do a deep dive uh, of pulling out of CPP? And I'm saying, Carter, we're short staffed, so come back to us for 15 minutes. What are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do as our newly hired 15-minute UCP strategist? Really push yourself in that headspace for this last one, Carter. <laughs> I would prefer to be an issues manager if I could get the title. I think that... Uh, um, you know, I think that the problem, the problem with all governments is you start to fall in love with shiny objects, right? And so whatever your shiny object was that you, that you, that you loved at the beginning, you're still going to love. And it's really hard to walk away from them. So the shiny object for Jason Kenney is, is the firewall letter that was created. Oh man, how many years ago before Stephen Harper became the leader of, uh, of the conservative party? I mean, it was when he was, 
uh, toying around, you know, this was him and Ken Bosenkuhl and a few other notables. Uh, they created the firewall letter uh, that became the basis of this. And part of that firewall letter, now, now some almost 20 years in the rearview mirror, was the Alberta pension plan. And it may have made sense. 20 years ago. It may have made sense 25 years ago. It does not make sense in this particular moment in time. And not only that, forget about what I think about it ideologically. Forget about what I think about it as an idea. Ask yourself, which Albertans are clamoring for this as a solution to a problem? Ed Selmack used to do this. He used to find a solution to a problem that no one knew that there was a problem to. The very first rule is you must establish that there's a problem. Then you can solve it. And Jason Kenney did a great job with this with equalization. And I would say that if you want an Alberta pension plan, the first thing you need to do is destroy the Canada pension plan. You need to make it seem unfair and un towards our people. And our people being Albertans. Um, it has not been seen as unfair. So stop calling for the change and start calling for the problem. Point out the problem and then you can bring the change. Is that better, Zane? Do I sound like a right-wing freak now? Is that what you wanted? 30-day contract, no benefits. Nicely done, Carter. You're rehired. Okay. Corey, you. same question to you. The doubling down on the Alberta pension plan to explore it, to see if uh, we need to go down a referendum. How big of a deal is it and what are you doing if you're a UCP strategist right now? Well, when it comes to pensions, when it comes to any kind of major investment house, size matters, right? It's why the province likes it so much. It would, in, it would increase our financial heft so dramatically. We would move into this stratosphere of, of large financial houses. People, people fail to appreciate that these enormous Canadian pensions are just like world class in size, right? You've got case, you've got CPPIP, you've got teachers, hundreds of billions of dollars in all cases like just so much money that like you could sit there and think about it all day and you'd never be able to fathom it so that's why the province likes it but that's also why it's a bad idea because size matters and we are better off as part of the cpp we have a young population yeah that could mean lower premiums right now we are the only province where boomers are outnumbered by their children but here's the problem that bulge will retire someday and the you know that bulge uh, of which i am you know just on one tail of here you know, my kids are going to have to pay enormous premiums to cover the fact that they, they've got to keep this fund solvent. And yeah, I mean, you can look at projections out into the 40s, 50s and 60s and say, yeah, it doesn't look so bad. But it really is pretty dependent on us continuing to grow as a province, which may or may not be the case. We are we are pretty invested in an industry that's at a weird inflection point right now. So I would say politically, maybe Maybe it's an interesting thing, uh, you know, to, to the UCP base. I think just from a public policy point of view, it's it's a bit terrifying for me. So, um, you know, I, if I'm the premier, I'm not getting in too deep with this because I worry if I'm the premier that the more people hear about this, the less they're going to like it. Like there, there's an awful lot of reasons that this is a bad idea. And I'm worried that if they come out and it's my idea, that's going to fall on me politically. Carter? Well, I just think that, you know, the, the sheer number of things right now that he's trying to pull back to Alberta. I mean, this Alberta first mentality that's never been articulated as Alberta first because the branding would be, I think, tragic at this moment. Um, but it, it's a number of things that will not be popular, I think, in the end. It's easy with equalization, right? Equalization is they're taking something from me and giving it to someone else. Uh, that's been characterized that way uh, since the since the 1990s uh, with Ralph Klein. So we're preconditioned for that. Um, I, I think that everything else that he layers onto it is actually going to undermine his primary argument, which is the equalization argument. 
Um, so on, on some levels, you know, if I, if I re- retain my sanity, maybe pile everything on. Maybe at that point you can start making what the case that Jason Kenny just wants to separate and it becomes a simple argument. We're going to have to leave that one there. Let's move it on to our final segment, our over, under, and our lightning round. Guys, are you ready to not answer my questions? Totally. Yeah, of course. I, I see you've got practice from the last segment. Uh, Corey, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to you first on this one. On a scale of 1 to 10, scale of 1 to 10, uh, 1 being nope, perfect, amazing, 10 being horrible. How bad from a comms perspective was it that the Edmonton Eskimos decided, yeah, you know what? We're not going to change our name. I think that if you are going to make that deeply unpopular decision, just keep your mouth shut. Like, why do you need to send out a tweet talking about how you're just going to disappoint people? It's also just, like, talk about the last horse over the finish line. It's fucking inevitable. Just get get your head around it now. You don't want to look like you're dragged into it. Um, uh, yes, I, I understand tradition. You know, I've also seen Fiddler on the Roof. But uh, remember how that one ends, too, guys. Remember how it ends. So, By the way, best headline uh, analogous to this uh, from The Onion, uh, stating that, uh, it, you know, kicking and screaming, Washington Redskins changed their name to D.C. Redskins. Uh, Carter, <laughs> Carter, on a scale of 1 to 10, what are you giving this? Uh, 1 being not so bad, this is totally fine. 10 being... I guess what Corey's just said, because you guys are not going to give me numbers, so I have to just decode this in real time. What are you sending, Carter? Well, I think that this is an absolute fail again, because you're going to get there. Uh, I understand. I mean, I understand. It's a lot of, it, first of all, it's a lot of money that the the Edmonton CFL team doesn't have. Uh, they don't have money to do a complete rebrand. Um, they're going to have to rebrand everything, and they don't have that type of cash, especially right now. The CFL is in trouble. Um, so they don't want to do that rebrand. Um, but they're going to be doing it anyways. So I would almost, you know, crowdfund the, the, the rebrand, figure out how to get this done because you're not going to be the last one after the, the Redskins, the Indians, um, I'm missing a couple, but you know, they're all going to be done in the next, if, if this continues, it'll be 18 months, absolute max. Why put it off? Why not be the first to go instead of the last to go? Corey? Well, if they're reaching about for names, I hear Golden Bears recently became available. Oh, <laughs> that wait, was uh, just wait. for the Alberta crowd. I don't that think was I, I. I'm part of the Alberta crowd. What's the reference? What am I missing? Oh, it's about uh, sports, Zane. It's this about, is no, why you I, don't understand. I understand. It. I oh, I understand sports. Oh, uh, that's the U of A name. Is that University of that's, Alberta? Has that's sus- your alma mater. They've yeah. suspended their sports programs because of budget. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, Kenny's well, budget. Zane. Uh, Kenny's hey. budget cuts is the way that we phrase that. Kenny Carter once once again fired from being a UCB strategist again. Thirty uh, day contract is over. Uh, Carter, to you, over under on three months. Over under on three months. The length of Kanye West's presidential bid. Um, it's going to go the distance, baby. Because if I'm wrong about Donald Trump, I want to be wrong about <laughs> Kanye West. My God, and and if Elon Musk isn't his vice presidential candidate. I don't know what's wrong with the world because the first tweet supporting this was like Elon Musk saying, I'm with you the whole way. And my head exploded. I mean, this is, I'm done with 2020. I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) Corey. 
I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I've been thinking about it all day, and obviously really? he's made. I have, yeah, and he's made comments in the past about how he's going to run and whatnot. And with Kanye, of whom I'm a big fan, especially his earlier albums, um, you never know how much of it is just performance art, right? But I was thinking, like, holy shit, what if he's totally serious about all of this? And uh, you know, one of his last discs was Jesus is King. And I'm like, what if that was him trying to shore up the Christian or his thought that this would shore up the Christian, right? And I just started thinking like, what if he's fucking crazy? It <laughs> is and, fucking crazy. <laughs> well, but you know, it, it just made me reevaluate an awful lot about everything that he's done in the past bit. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Um, I, he might go all the way. And um, oh, really, and, and that's just going to be weird to me. You really think that? I think there's a chance he's go. I, I think there's a chance that he drops out in a month, comes back in two months later, and is there in November. He's gonna make Ross Perot look like he was fucking sane. Like that is the way this is gonna <laughs> unfold. God. Okay, uh, uh, Corey, I'm going back to you on this. Uh, the second last one on a scale of why to what the fuck. Uh, so just remember the scale. Uh, why to what the fuck? Uh, explain to us uh, Dominion Day. What the hell happened on Canada Day? What the hell was that? I am very confused, but perhaps you have you have some uh, uh, tethering to, to what the hell we were just witnessing with a conservative onslaught of not wishing Canada Day to anyone, but happy Dominion Day. So I'll give it a three. I mean, I didn't have any idea. I didn't have any idea whatsoever that this was a held grievance by anybody. I, I, you know, we so Dominion Day was the historical name for Canada Day for... You know, celebrating when we were created as a dominion. And, and the short version of the history is when they were trying to decide what to name Canada, they thought it needed something at the start of it. And they thought, well, Kingdom of Canada might antagonize the Americans. And they found within the Bible, he shall create a dominion from sea to sea. They thought that sounds a bit like Canada. So they used the word dominion, which is a synonym for control. So I have no idea why everybody thinks it's really important that we keep this word around. But... Uh, you know, as, as early as kind of the mid 20th century, people were realizing this was a bit problematic. It, it certainly wasn't really in keeping with the idea of an inclusive Canada. And, um, and people started calling it Canada Day. And it became, I guess, an early culture war back and forth. You call it Canada Day or Dominion Day. And in 1982, the liberals in the, in the dark of night, well, in Parliament one day when nobody was there from the opposition, just rammed through three readings in a heartbeat. Let's just formally change the name to Canada Day. Now, a lot of people were already calling it Canada Day. This was 1982, so we just repatriated the Constitution. There was some logic to the move at the time. And like I said, it's not like nobody was using that name beforehand. Mm -hmm. I had no idea anybody still cared. We've had conservative governments since then. Nobody has really taken this up as a thing. And like this was 40 years ago. Like this was a long time ago. I just I don't understand why all of a sudden in 2020 people are busting out Dominion Day and suggesting that we refer to Canada as a Dominion again synonym for control. A little weird, especially if you're a, you know a freedom loving conservative, and uh, and yet here we are. We're talking about Dominion Day and. I don't know. Just just get over it. Just change. Like things change. Things move on. I hear that views can evolve over time. Tommy Douglas called it Dominion Day. Doesn't mean we got to call it Dominion Day anymore. <laughs> did he? Did he do it before he died? Uh, because uh, I just want to make sure. Carter, uh, on a scale of why to what the fuck, explain Dominion Day to us. Um, what the fuck? Um, this this <laughs> this kills me. This makes me like. 
let's play it out, right? We're going to hearken back to a previous time. Are we going, how far back are we going? Are we going to re relitigate the, uh, the Canadian flag? Um, you know, the, the, the red maple leaf. I mean, that was a disputed, uh, challenged process by which we came up with our Canadian flag. I think everybody stands with it. Um, the people who aren't are, you know, they tend towards racist. Um, you know, the red ends and is, is not exactly picked up in your, in your neighborhood. Well, I was going to say not in your neighborhood legion, but that actually might be where it is, but it is, it is, you know, it, it's a past that doesn't exist um, that we don't want to go back to. We, we are very proud of our Canadian flag. I think we're very proud as Canada day. And the, I don't understand other than, other than the theory that you're just going to own the libs because they're going to get all angry. And like, I can almost understand that. I can almost understand that, but I cannot understand, uh, especially these guys that are less than 40 years old, um, standing up and, and pushing yeah. for it. I mean, yeah. I'm older than 40 years old and, and, and my, you know, I, I don't remember ever calling it dominion day. Um, you know, th this is not a thing that my parents were like, oh, well, back in the day, we used to call it Dominion Day when we smoked a pack of cigarettes around you infants. That, you know, like, <laughs> this is not a past that we want to go back to. So why, what the fuck? I don't understand. I'm confused. Corey, yeah, like, finish this off. Not having to wear seatbelts in cars, paying oh, with yeah. charge X, Dominion Day. They're all part of a past that we've long <laughs> since moved on. Let's when just, I used just, to sleep yeah. in, the, in the tire well, you know, on the yeah. car, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> we can we used to always call it the dominion place you know like that's the oh my god it's so look stupid. for it look for it next june the strategist podcast dominion day starter pack uh which we will <laughs> which we will provide and sell at a uh, at a premium okay our last question here a listener question of course oh. you're wondering wait we do listener questions we do at the simple <laughs> price of a five-star review Corey, I've become such a slut for these things. I am, it just, I'm just, so disappointed just in both of you. Okay, here's the question, and it's a good one. Uh, from JTF Mason, similar to Carter's idea of running a federal election during the U.S. election, would the liberals be too crass to run the election at the same time as the Alberta referendum on equalization, perhaps forcing the conservatives to take a stand on the Alberta separatist movement and the prospective leanings? Uh, Carter, I want to go to you first on this. You're hearing the question for the first time, but... Thoughts on, on, on tethering the conservatives and forcing them to take a stand on separatism? Well, I'm really pleased that you're being generous with the, the compliments and saying this is a good question. Um, not a great question. <laughs> not going to happen. Um, no, it, no, here's the... <laughs> oh, I'm supposed yeah. I'm, am this, I supposed to be wait, nice to the wait, audience? Wait, is this the, message, is this the message you want to send? I, I'm getting mixed messages. Stars. Leave us five stars. So we can uh, crank lock, on lo you. Lock in the five stars. Uh, and then we'll take a shit on you. Did I misread this? Did I? You know what? You gotta send a briefing note. No, the problem with this is that the 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 Progressive Conservative Party of Canada, the, the you know the 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 big one, the one that Peter McKay is is destined to lead as his birthright. Um, even if the election was being held at the same time as the referendum, they're 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 not going to touch this with a ten foot pole. They're going to stay the hell away from it and. Uh, you know, maybe they'll come up with a couple of tinkers that will satisfy the we're going to change the equalization formula um, that don't make them appear like separatists. The problem is that we read into it the separatist nature. Um, but I don't think that everybody else is going to read into it the separatist nature of the of the of the equalization referendum problem. Um, Trudeau's 
I don't think that the government of Canada is going to be looking to tag on to a series of municipal elections in uh, in Alberta that's going to have a, a crazy, uh, stupid question that no one uh, knows how it's going to play. They don't know which side is going to be up and which side is going to be down. And I think also the Trudeau Liberals would actually like to win a seat or two in uh, in the Prairie Provinces. So. Being outside of this discussion is going to be way better than being inside this discussion. Corey, same question to you. Well, I think just even from a national unity point of view, the Liberals would be pretty hesitant to to turn Alberta into a, a formal opponent during an election. I think that would be deeply problematic and might turn people off in the rest of the country. But if I'm the Conservatives, I don't even feel like I'd be trapped by it because they don't need to say the Alberta complaint about equalization is correct. They just need to say equalization is broken. They'll blame Trudeau for letting things get to this point. They're going to say, yeah, it's an injustice. I understand Albertans are mad about it. Equalization has been used as social engineering. Provinces know what's best for them. We definitely review equalization. We, we feel fundamentally Trudeau has let down Canadians on this point. That's not in any way disharmonious with what would be a campaign message for the Conservatives. Uh, and so I just don't think it's much of a trap. Uh, I, I think that um, it becomes very easy for them to say, of course, I'm, I support Canada, you know, but supporting Canada means working with the provinces. And we've got a prime minister who has let things get to this point. So, in fact, it would reinforce a narrative about Trudeau that things are really bad with Western provinces. It wouldn't be to their advantage to do it at that point. Keep leaving us your five-star reviews. Keep sending your questions. Carter, you're going to jump in. You've got a retort. I, I promise I'll be nice next time. <laughs> <laughs> we, will, he, we will try not to take a shit on you. I, I promise you he won't be nice next time. <laughs> yeah. Leave us a review. That's a compelling message to end the episode. <laughs> That's a wrap on episode 810 of The Strategist. My name is Zaid Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.